Today's program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In The Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Carmen DeVito. And I'm Alice Marcus-Krieg. And we are the ladies of Groundworks, Inc. We design and install and maintain gardens around New York City, and we also do holiday decorating. <laughs> Today we did some holiday <laughs> oh, decor. so much our holiday decor. Ho, ho, ho. I think we were the first to <laughs> yeah. start, you know, the New York we had those. We had those pine cones and those magnolia branches. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And it's very cold today. Um, but now we're cozy in our two shipping containers in That's Bushwick. Right. Um, so today's show is is called Homesteading Again. That's what Alice and I decided to call it. Um, it's our Thanksgiving yeah, kind of land use Americana, Americana show. Exactly. So anyway, um, I'm going to share something that most of you don't know about me. <laughs> Alice might, although maybe she doesn't. No, I do. Uh, I know all about this. Because um, you, you got me, you inspired me to read Willa Cather. My, ah, my my Antonia. Antonia, yeah. So, as a young girl growing up in a pretty urban environment of Brooklyn, um, I was pretty obsessed with the prairie because <laughs> because I read and reread because of your calico dresses. My calico, I wish. Um, I did have a Holly Hobby doll, though. I have to confess, every, I was, every, yeah. every little girl did in the seventies, but. I loved Little House on the Prairie uh-huh. books. I was like so into them, and I always dreamed of going there and living that sort of simple and beautiful life. You know, living the in pra- a root cellar. Oh, it was so <laughs> great! I just loved it. Yeah. Um, well, as luck would have it, or, or maybe it was fate, um, I met someone from Kansas who was living in New York City, and I don't think the Little House on the Prairie books are actually set in Kansas. I think they're. In Nebraska, they're somewhere else. I don't think they're Kansas. Um, but anyway, I that's so, a good trivia point. Yeah, maybe somebody can call in and, and tell us that. But <laughs> um, so I met this man who was living in New York City, but he was from Kansas, and we got married. And, and he was from Manhattan. He was Kansas. from Manhattan, Kansas, which was good, a good omen. Yeah. Um, and not too long after we met, we got married, and I got to meet all of his amazing family still living in Kansas, and I got to see the prairie, which yeah. I had always wanted to see. My parents took me to Italy. They took me other... They never took me west of the Mississippi. I never right. saw that. So it was like... I can't even describe how I felt that moment when I first saw it, Alice. It's like with you and the ocean, right? Yeah. I saw this like serene, beautiful... Horizon. Horizon. And... I had been sky. to sky and yeah. I had been to Italy many times as a child. I grew up there as a child on uh-huh. farms, but it was always like hemmed in by mountains. There was always like this mountain in the distance and you couldn't see you could see far. It was rural, but 
it was there was evidence of humans everywhere. You know, yeah. a little town on a hill, a church, you know, right. like a fallen tower. But the prairie was like flat with few trees and these like this waving grass and very few oh, man-made. I know. <laughs> I know. Waxing stage. poetic. Stop but it. I really did fall in love with that like place. It was sure. just like amazing. So today's show is about going back to that land in a, in a very literal sense. And it's a very personal show for me because we have as a guest someone from my husband's own family sharing his story of buying back some of the original land that his family settled on in the late 19th century in Kansas as part of the Homestead Act of 1862. And Alice is going to read... And what's the Homestead Act? Yes, some of you might know, but tell us, Alice. Okay, so this is from the Kansas Historical Society. The Homestead Act was one way settlers acquired land in Kansas and other parts of the West. It was signed into law by President Abraham Lincoln on May 20th, 1862. This is what brought my family from Charleston into Tennessee. It was the same, same thing. homesteading act. Under the provisions of the Homestead Act, settlers could claim 160 acres of public land. They paid a small filing fee and uh, had two options for getting title to the land. If they lived on the 160 acres for five continuous years and they built a residence and grew cop- grew crops, <laughs> then they could file for their deed for the property. The second option was to purchase the land from the government for $1.25 an acre after living on the land for six months, building a home and starting to grow crops. The head of the household of any citizen or a person intending to become a citizen, immigrants, were eligible to claim land under the Homestead Act. In 1864, the law was amended to allow a soldier with two years of service to acquire the land after one year of residency. The Homestead Act led to the distribution of 80 million acres of public land by 1900. Many Kansas settlers, however, acquired their farms by purchasing the property, some of which was part of the railroad land grant. Homesteaders and other settlers in Kansas were challenged by drought, scarce natural resources, and economic cycles that threatened their survival. Winter was a particularly difficult time for Kansas farm families. A women contributor to the Harper Sentinel, identified only as PET, P-E-T, wrote in 1889, It is hard work to come west to make a home. Few have the vim and backbone to stay long enough to prove up their land under the homestead law. I don't want to brag, but we're going to try to be among the few. I'll tell you how we manage. There are four of us, my husband and my two little boys, most too small to be of any use, but of a great comfort, and myself comprise our family. This year, everything was a failure in the county. Everybody left that could, but we still have a few cattle and enough corn stalks to keep them alive until the grass comes. I said, we must stick to the land, old boy, just as long as we can raise the roughness to winter on. So anyway, we have on the show... Somebody and on that with, note, with the vim and somebody who is a descendant of someone with the vim and vigor and backbone to, and backbone. Um, and I've wanted to share the story for a very long time. So we have with us today Daniel Fair Householder, who is a retired physician living in Wichita, Kansas. But 
I'm going to say homesteading part-time on his family's original land. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So, um, I think um, that that you, I bet some of your ancestors could relate to that uh, description of the struggles, right? Yes, they do. Um, so let's start with where the land is actually located. Can you describe for our listeners um, where in Kansas it is exactly and kind of what the area is like now in terms of population and the town, et cetera? Okay. Um, when, the, when the Homestead Act was enacted uh, at approximately the same time, uh, they devised a way of describing land that was unequivocal. And the quarter, the 160 acres, the quarter section that I inherited and, uh, and then bought more of, uh, is described as the northeast one quarter of section 27, township two south, range four west of the sixth prime meridian. <laughs> wow. That's the official title. Now, the sixth prime meridian uh, is on the Kansas-Nebraska line at approximately the town of um, uh, Midian, Kansas. Uh, that's about 20 miles east of Belleville, Kansas. So this, this land is about six miles west of Belleville and about, four, uh, about two miles east of Scandia, Kansas. It's, uh, it's about 10 miles from the Kansas-Nebraska line. So it's in the north-central portion of Kansas, uh, north of Concordia and north of Belleville. Is there any water around there? The home is, my home, the home up there is about four miles east of the Republican River. Uh, but the Republican River um, is just a, sort of a dry land river. Uh, there is not, um, we are not over the aquifer, so we do not have, we do not have wells for water, and uh, there's, there's very little or no irrigation in, in that part, uh, in that county of Wichita. Uh, so there, there's just the, the rain. So did, did they farm the land originally? They did farm the land, yes. And what, did, was, what did they grow? Uh, I think they grew wheat. Again, I don't. I don't have good. Uh, there's. There's not a lot of stories uh, of this, but but wheat was the primary crop of Kansas, and I think it was in the late uh, 1800s um, when they when they homesteaded. I think I think they primarily grew wheat. Uh, occasionally, they would grow corn, uh-huh. but uh, most of the corn was grown uh, farther east. Um, corn tended not to do well. Every year um, in the in the or west of the Mississippi, ah, uh, so uh, it had to do with water. If you had a wet year, then corn would do very well. But uh, right. on an average year, corn tended not to do very well. And who originally homesteaded? Tell our listeners, Dan, um, who homesteaded the land, and you know wh- when did they take possession? Okay, uh, my great grandfather was named Isaac Householder. And his name is who is on the land grant application and deed. So he, his wife was named Margaret, and he and his wife uh, homesteaded the land in 1872. So they made application and got 160 acres uh, in which they had to break, till the land, plant crops, uh, and then make an improvement on it, which 
basically meant to, to build a house, right. some, some sort of, of living arrangement, which they did. And in 1877, they got the deed for that land, which was signed for President uh, Rutherford uh, B. Hayes. <laughs> wow. He didn't, he didn't actually sign it, but somebody signed it for him. Wow. And that deed actually came from Concordia, Kansas. At that time, the closest, the, the ter- territorial uh, city was Concordia, Kansas, which is roughly 20 miles away. So was Kansas, uh, forgive my lack of knowledge in this area, considering I've been married to Robin for mm-hmm. 20 plus years, I, was Kansas a state at that Kansas, point? Kansas was a state okay. in 1861. Okay, so, all right. Yes, it was. Okay, so it wasn't like part of the Nebraska, it wasn't like, you know, it was totally its own state at that point. It was its own state, and Nebraska was too. Again, okay. Kansas and Nebraska were basically part of the compromise, yeah. Part of the compromise? Yeah, uh, they, comp- they did a compromise when in the late 1850s, uh, which allowed Kansas and Nebraska to become states. Oh, and, okay, and, I see. And, and Kansas and Mer- There were lots of compromises before the Civil War, and okay. the, the Kansas statehood was connected with that. Also, Missouri. Missouri came in as a slave state, and Kansas came in as a free, free state. Free state, right. Yeah. John Brown and all that, uh, right? Yes. All that um, yeah. So <laughs> we this we don't have enough time to cover yeah. that ground today, no, but um, and, I'm, and I don't know all of it. Either. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So where did the family come from? I'm always fascinated by that because being the first generation yeah. person that I am, you know, I always like to know where did they come from and and what, when and when and why did they leave to homestead in Kansas? Um, again, I don't know all the stories. Um, the, I believe that my family originally came from Pennsylvania. I, w- I was sort of ol- always told that, that the householder family was Pennsylvania Dutch. It's called Pennsylvania Dutch. And it's, it's sort of from the central portion of Pennsylvania. And then I believe that, 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 that Isaac, and his, uh, Isaac and his wife, I think, then moved to Ohio. And they were in Ohio for only two or three years. And then they came from Ohio to Republic County, Kansas. And, and what? And why did they leave? Like, Ohio? yeah, what? Why Again, did they keep going west? Um, they, I believe, they left Pennsylvania because land was expensive, mm-hmm. and there were, and there was no there was no land uh, that was not owned. There was no public land. The mm-hmm. land was entirely owned. It was expensive. Uh, they were poor farmers, and they didn't have money uh, to buy to buy land to farm. Uh, most most of the uh, most of the couples had anywhere from four to six children. Uh, it was useful to have enough people to run the farm. But when those people grew up and got married, you couldn't divide the farm up that many ways and have a viable farm. Mm-hmm. So the younger the younger people, uh, the younger children, tended to have to move. And they went to Ohio, but then they heard that there was public land that was free for homesteading in Kansas. And I think they moved on to Kansas in order to avail themselves to the free land. Wow. Good, good reason. Yeah. Good yeah, reason yeah. to leave. <laughs> I yes, mean, I, that's just... the usual story that's told. I mean, I ask a couple of people uh, up up 
around the farm, other other families that had homesteaded at about the same time. And that's the usual story that's told. I don't actually know that for a fact, but I'm I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. Do you have um do you have many artifacts, Dan, um of from the original um you know fam um, anything that you you know, like actual documents or uh, I tools? do have a cop. I do have a copy of the land grant. Deed, oh, that's so the cool. Deed that was that was given in 1877. That's so cool. That. I love that. So I have a I have a picture of that. Um, I also have um, my wife and I have a an umbrella of Margaret Householder of Isaac Householder's wife. Oh, really? And yes, and it's it's very dilapidated, but it's it. We understand that right, we think we know somebody who repairs these, and so it will eventually be repaired. Uh, we also have uh, something that's known as a spooner. A spooner is a bowl that holds spoons. Uh huh. Um, and back in those days, they would have a knife and a fork for the meal. But they didn't set a spoon at every place, and only the people that needed spoons took a spoon. That decreased the number of things that you had to wash. Right. So, um, and so the, the the little bowl that that held the spoons were called was called a spooner, and we have a spooner that had been used in the house. Uh, as far as I know, those are the only two things, uh, only two things from the original the early part of, of this house. Is the house still the same house, or has that been modernized? Well, it's been modernized. Right. The, the dimensions of the house, the two floors of the house are the same. The floor, the floor plan is, is the same. We use the rooms a little differently now than they did, uh-huh. but I, uh, my father grew up in the house. My father probably moved into the house when he was two years old. And he said, my father said, that's the only house that I knew until I went to college. It's wow. the only house that I ever remember. And he has a plan. Uh, he, has, he has drawn out a plan for me of, of how the rooms were arranged and who, whose bedrooms were upstairs and how they used the rooms downstairs. So I do have a plan. of, And, and those rooms are, are basically all the same today. And tell me, what is the house made of? Is it... Uh... Uh, it is a wood house. It's a wood frame house. Uh huh. Is it like uh, post on, and on beam? Own, um, I'm sorry. Is it like post and beam construction or? Um, it's well. It's it's wood frame. It's called it's called German uh, German farmhouse. It's a okay. German farmhouse. It's about uh, thirty feet by thirty feet. Uh, it has four rooms downstairs and four rooms upstairs. And Dan, you also mentioned to me in our sort of pre-interview conversation that that isn't the original house that the original homesteaders built correct this is the second that's, that's the correct that's this correct. is the second house that was built in the at the uh i think turn of the century is that right uh, or before approximately World War? The, right i i generally say that it was built sometime uh, between uh 1908 and 1909 okay uh, my father was born in 1907 and his brother says, his brother told him, you weren't born in that house, but, but you moved in. But my dad said, I never remember any other house. But there was, a, there was a, a, an older house that was uh, maybe 30 or 40 yards north, uh, south of this house, and uh, that they, they built a new house, and then they destroyed that house afterwards. So I never saw that house. 
either. So let's talk about the land. So, so now you have you have the house. So we're going to go into the details and a little bit about you know how you acquired it and everything. But it's so after the homesteaders, your great grandparents, at some point the land, the original land grant wasn't in your family's hands, right? Like they Happened. sold it. So yeah. So tell us how that happened. Tell us a little bit about how that was. Okay. You know how that changed. Like you said, you you asked one time. Uh, uh, Isaac Householder did well. Okay, they they grew they grew wheat. Uh, they had subsistence farm. They grew wheat uh, between nineteen between eighteen seventy seven and nineteen twenty five. Uh, he acquired uh, additional land so that. Uh, in 1925, he owned 560 acres. Isn't that impressive, Al? Wow. That's like, yeah. that's two generations, so, uh, three generations, we said, Dan, right? In three generations. Yes, roughly there were three generations involved in that. And, and they, they quadrupled. It, it did well. Yeah. You know, quadrupled they, the land. Right, they bought additional land. Uh, and so, uh, and then that remained the same until uh, 1965. And in 1965, my grandmother died. She was, uh, uh, my grandfather had died in 1937, and my grandmother lived until 1965, and she owned uh, this 560 acres. And she, she lived off of that 560 acres. Uh, her son uh, farmed it for, for much of that time, and then after that, they hired other people to farm it. So mm-hmm. she had people that, that farmed it. Uh, when she died, uh, that 560 acres is actually seven 80s, what, what we call it an 80. And there were seven of them, and she had six children. And so six of those 80s were given to the children. But none of those children uh, had enough money or had a good enough job to have the money to pay taxes on the 80 that had the house and the barn and the shed uh, there, there were seven buildings that they were taxing on on hmm. the on eighty acres, uh-huh. and nobody nobody could pay the the county taxes on on those buildings. So that eighty was sold, and it was sold out of the family in nineteen sixty five. Okay, okay. And I, my father happened to inherit. Uh, he was given the eighty right next to it. Ah. So he was given an 80 that was part of the land-grant quarter. It was the other half of the land-grant quarter. And that's what I inherited in 1994. Wow. Luck of the draw, right? Yeah. yeah. Luck, of the dra- luck of the draw. <laughs> that's and so cool. By that time, and so uh, at that time, actually somebody, the person that was farming the land offered to buy it. And I said, no, I really don't want to sell it. And I said, in fact, if I ever get a chance to buy the other, the other 80, the home 80, um, I, would, I would be interested in buying that. I had enough money, even at that time, that I, I could have thought about buying that. Yeah. And his wife saved that, la- that letter. And, and 13 years later, she showed me the letter when I went to the auction to buy, to buy the other 80. Whoa. All right. I want to t- I want to hear about the auction. Yes, we have to take a break, Dan. Stay okay. on the line and we're going to come back and jump right into that story cuz that's my favorite part. <laughs> is the auction. This is
This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com. Hi, this is Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears here on Heritage Radio Network. This is my first season as a host, but at the Brooklyn Kitchen, we've been supporting Heritage Radio for many years, and I really believe in what Heritage does. It is a fantastic network that really highlights everything that is going on in food in America, from restaurant openings to farms uh, to my show, where I feature interesting people with interesting stories related to food. But Heritage is a not-for-profit. We don't make any money. Uh, Most of the hosts do this because we love to do it, and we really do need your help as listeners. We'd love to have you listen, whether you can give any money or not. The website will still be up. You can still stream your favorite shows. But if you do like the programs here on Heritage Radio, we really would encourage you to go to the website, heritageradionetwork.org, click on the beating heart in the upper right-hand corner, and give whatever you can if... You drink coffee every afternoon while you listen to shows on Heritage, then maybe you can give us the cost of a cup of coffee once in a while. If you want to become a larger member, there's all kinds of great things you get if you become a member of the station and a larger supporter. So please join me, join the Brooklyn Kitchen, join our other great sponsors, and become a member. Welcome back to Weedic Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Our guest today is a family member of mine, Daniel Fairhouseholder, my husband's uncle and retired physician who has gone back to his family's original 19th century homestead, restored it, and we're talking to him about um, the auction. Dan, I want you to jump to the present and talk about how How you, you bought it, how you bought it, how you and Aunt Martha came about purchasing the rest of the original 80 acres. Okay, uh, in 2010, uh, there was a, um, a small column in the Belleville paper that said there was going to be a farm auction uh, for this, this 80, um, 80 acres of land. And I was made aware of it. Um, I, um, I made phone calls. Um, I have a second cousin who farms on the west side of the Republican River. Uh, he's farmed up there all of his life, and I called him and asked him if he was going to bid on on the householder, what I called the householder home place. And he said no, that he did not farm on the opposite side of the Republican River. His farm is, his farm is all on the on the west side of the Republican River, and he doesn't take his equipment across the river. Okay. Uh, and and I asked the, the the man that farmed for us if he was interested in bidding on it, and he said no, that he didn't want to bid on it. Um, and so I, at that point, um, it seemed to me that if if it was going to stay in the family, it was up to me. Right. And so my wife and I drove to Belleville. Um, The auction was at 7 o'clock in the evening. Uh, I had actually never, I had never seen a farm auction or or a land auction. Can you describe Uh, some of the other people that were there and what the the setting was like? um, The setting was on the county, uh, the county fairgrounds. So it was a... 
It was a, a large room. Uh, I would say there was somewhere between 75 and 100 people there. Uh, most of the farmers, most of the most of the farmers that own land in Republic County were there. Wow! Uh, this is uh, these actions. These auctions probably happen. There may be one or two a year. Uh-huh. Uh, they're not particularly common. Um, they, but they determine what the price of land is. I mean, this is the only way that you know for sure what the land is because this is these are the dates in which the land actually changes changes hands. Uh huh. Um, and so I knew, um, I knew how much money I had, and I had decided, my wife and I had talked beforehand, uh, we had picked a, a, a number, uh, and I could, I could bid up to that number without asking her. <laughs> okay. okay. So there was a number, I could go up that high without asking her. And it was a good thing that we had said that, because um, I, sort of, I sort of thought this would all happen fairly quickly. Uh-huh. Uh, my wife was used to uh, charity auctions, yeah. know, auctions <laughs> for charity, and those go rather slowly. I mean, they'll take the painting around and show it to people to try to get them to bid more. Um, one of the, some of the biggest auctions that I've seen, charity auctions, have been for, for puppy. They'll take the puppy around and let it sit on your lap and try to get people to. Well, when you're when you're buying farmland, it doesn't happen. I mean, it goes it goes right away. Yeah. And uh, the the entire auction, I would say, didn't take more than fifteen minutes. Wow. And and ten minutes were the early part. It was it was going. It took it took almost ten minutes to go from a bid of fifty thousand to to one hundred and twenty five thousand uh-huh. and then from one hundred and twenty five thousand on up to what it sold for went within clearly within five minutes yeah I mean, it was just very quick and um, and so I was still within the range of what we had talked about and so i ended up I ended up buying it and the the thing that we didn't talk about and i I used my full name because I was named for my grandfather. My grandfather's full name was Daniel Fair Householder, and my name is also Daniel Fair Householder. Uh-huh. And so at the end of the auction, the auctioneer said, uh, whom can I say bought this land? Uh-huh. And, and I used my full name because I knew that there would be people in the audience right. that, that knew. That, I mean, they, probably, they didn't know my, my grandfather because he had died you know, many, many years ago, probably 80 years ago. Uh, but they would know of him. They would know that name. And right. they did. Uh, there, were, there were some oohs and ahs. Uh. And they realized that, that this, was, this was being bought within the family and was not just somebody investing right. in Wichita. Right. Yeah, and that's what's so great. You're not going to put a condo on it. No. And, well, I, I have goosebumps. Because yeah. when, when Dan, when you told me that story years ago, I just was like, someday we have to share this story. Because it's yeah. such a great you know, I can just imagine that moment for you when you... Was there a lot of flannel in that room, Dan? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like you didn't want to be too conspicuous and say, oh, the two physicians from Wichita are, you know, Um, but it was so great. I mean, I can just... But it's so subtle and brilliant. And beautiful, you know? And did you have the number and you had to like get the attention of the auctioneer and flash your number and, right? Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. What congratulations! Yes. What a story! So you, it's yep. back in the family, the full homestead. Um, so now you told me when we we're speaking that the land is still being farmed. It's dry land farming, no irrigation, yep. Yep. and being a weather geek, of course, I asked you like how many inches of rain approximately. Yeah. How many do you get? I'm very curious. Uh, the average rainfall is about thirty inches a year. 
Okay. Not bad. Yeah. And yeah, it's not bad. And when it comes at the right time, uh, we have we have good crops. And uh-huh. and then when it when it doesn't come at you know the right time, then it's not so good. But in but the last the last twenty years, we've had pretty good rain, and, and it's done it's done well. And what are you growing on it now? Uh, most 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 years we grow wheat, uh, milo, and soybeans. Uh-huh. Those those are the most light most common things. Generally, the wheat well certainly the wheat and the soybeans are alternated every year, and the wheat and the milo are alternated every year. I don't I don't remember ever planting soybeans after milo. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally. Generally, the milo and the soybeans are on different parts of the land, and the next year it'll be wheat on those areas, and they they alternate back and forth. I I found it really interesting. Now, you're not you personally are not farming it. You have a really interesting arrangement with the farmer that's doing it. Would you mind sharing that, Dan? How how you all worked it out? Okay, um, it's it's one of the share arrangements for for leasing the land for for. Having someone farm it, uh, the farmer is responsible for buying the seed, or, or or having the seed. I mean, he is responsible for getting the seed. Uh, he does all of the work. He pays for the gasoline for the equipment, uh, and then he gets he gets two thirds of the crop, and I get one third of the crop, and I'm responsible for the taxes, and I I pay the taxes. Okay. Uh, oh, and we split we split the fertilizer fifty fifty. <laughs> okay. I just thought that was so interesting. So where what are yeah. you doing? Like, is he he's selling it, and I imagine you're selling it. How what's that process like? Uh, the grain elevators just uh, they get they get so many bushels in, and they divide that bush those bushels by two thirds and by one third, and two thirds are credited to him, and one third's credited to me, uh-huh. and we and we can sell it anytime we want or or keep it. As long as we want, so ah. that's all. That's all handled by the elevators. Are you getting any government subsidies? Uh, we we I would say maybe one year out of four mm-hmm. uh, we get a, a government subsidy. It's it's when the it's when the crop doesn't do well, right? So in general, it's it's paid to us when it's when it's a bad year. Uh-huh. And I would say that maybe that happens once every fourth year, once every fifth year. Okay. So uh, how does it so, feel? So how does it feel to be a gentleman farmer? Yeah, Dan. <laughs> well, it, it's nice. I mean, the thing that we like—I mean, you can be a gentleman farmer from a lot of ways. The thing that we like is to be able to go up there and stay for a weekend, or or stay for a week and and enjoy it um, yeah. away from the town. And it's very quiet. Uh, the and it's it's much easier to look at the stars. Uh, it's much darker. Um, the electric company has a everybody. Every the electric company supplies you with a light, a farm, uh, a, a, a light in the in the yard, oh. and uh, they don't they don't put a cut off, they don't put a turn off switch on it. It is it is always on. It's on a it's on a uh, a light meter, so it comes on oh. at, at dusk. But there's but they don't put on a way to turn it off, so you can't turn that off. And, so you have to get on the other side of the house to to really uh, have a dark sky for the uh, for the stargazing. The stars. It, yeah, been a, the astronomy's been big in September and October. There were lots of ast- astrological things going on, and so we we were up there a couple of times, and I got to see some some very impressive um, 
star arrangements uh, yeah. from from the dark sky. And I haven't seen, I haven't been to the house yet, but I plan to. Um, uh-huh. Max, my son Max is gone, and, and I, when he came back from that trip, Dan. I said, well, what did you like? You know, did you like it? Like, what did you, you know, what did you recall? What impressed you? He goes, there's a tornado shelter. I was going <laughs> to ask you. I need to ask you this. Are, yes. So tell us about your in the path of the tornadoes, right? What I can't uh, believe that wood house is still standing. <laughs> it's Kansas and there are tornadoes. And uh, yes, uh, in, uh, in 2008, there was a tornado that came through that damaged part of the roof. Uh-huh. And that's why that's why the house was put up for sale. The the lady who lived there was eighty seven years old, I think, when the tornado came through, and she moved into town, and she actually never went back to mm. the house. They repaired the roof a little bit and then put it up for auction. Um, there there is uh, next to the house. There is what we call a cave. Uh, it was actually it, it served two purposes. It was actually an, an ice house. It was, it was underground. It was down, oh, about half a floor. And they actually put ice in there during the winter uh, to keep uh, canned meats uh, oh. in the summer. So hmm. they put ice in there. They would cut ice out of the river and haul it four miles over from the river, put ice in there. And that ice would stay through the summer, at least until August or early September. Wow, that's impressive. So, really, I saw. But in a storm, uh, if there was a storm, you would go down. They called it the cave. It was called the cave. And you would go down the cave uh, to stay away from the weather, right. the tornadoes. Uh, and so the, the cave is still there. Do you, um, do you have any information of, speaking of weather, I always think about you know, the, the dust storms and the 1930s and the kind of exodus out of that area of the country what what was what was happening with your family during that time um it was um it was a difficult time but they stayed there they they were able to keep the farm uh-huh. and stay there um and and actually the 40s then through the 40s were better there was a drought in the 1950s, and the 1950s were when my family stopped farming the land there. It, it really required more land than, than was there, and, uh-huh. and uh, there, were, there were some... But the, the early 1950s were a drought uh, in, uh, in Kansas, including north-central Kansas. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, but the family still kept the... That wasn't, that wasn't why they sold part of the farm off. And tell me what it's like there now. Like, what? Who are your neighbors, and what's the landscape like? And is there like tract housing, or you know, is it still farmland? Tell us. It's, it's still farm. It's still farmland. Uh huh. Um, there's um, there's a family that lives a mile from us, and then there is, and then his brother um, lives a mile the other direction. Uh, we have a there's a house that's a quarter of a mile from us that is also owned from a lady who grew up up there. She's a little bit younger than I am, but she grew up up there, uh, and she actually lives. Um, uh, it's it's sort of a weekend house for for them. Uh-huh. Uh, her husband looks after it. They uh, they rent the land out. Some somebody farms for them. Um, there's a number of abandoned houses. 
there were farmers again in the fifties. From the fifties on, there were people, families that abandoned the the land. The land is all farmed. The, the farmland is all farmed. Somebody is farming the land because mm-hmm. it's worth it's worth it to them to do that. But the how there's a number of houses that have been abandoned, and they're in the process of of being of 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 uh, just falling down, okay. being blown right. away by tornadoes. <laughs> Okay. Uh, right. I was just yeah. wondering. I, it's good to hear. I was wondering if there's any kind of developers sniffing around and thinking about. No. Know. Well, when I was doing research for the for this show, I was comparing population. You know the pop, and we talked about it too, Dan. The population of the two towns that it's yeah. sort of in between, Belleville and Scandia, the populations have not. You know, they went down a little bit, but they've kind of stayed constant the past few decades, right? I mean, kind um, of. It hasn't. Well, it went down. I mean, in the past two decades, it's decreased. It has. But in the past, uh, I'd say in the past five to five years, five to five, six years. It's stable. It's sort of been fairly stable, yes. I mean, it's it's less. But, um, again, people have tried. This is one of the reasons they like, they like families to stay or to keep those homes, even if it's somebody away from there, because... It, it, you do spend some money to you spend some money to keep the home up and to take care of the home and to look after the pasture and to do some things and that's good for the economy of the area that mm-hmm. gives people's job gives people jobs in that area. So we've kind of come to the end of the show. I can't believe how fast it's gone, Dan. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you: Do you think that uh, now that you and Aunt Martha you've made a lot of improvements to the house and to the to the landscape around the house? Um, do you think that you're going to live there full time at some point? Um, I, if if and when Martha retires, <laughs> I'd like to be able to go up and stay for a week right. or two weeks. Right. Uh, I I doubt we we've lived in Wichita all of our professional life, which means like forty years. Right. And and there's a lot of things that we do in Wichita, a lot of connections that we have in Wichita. I don't really ever expect to live full time there. I would like to be able to go up for more than just Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, right. You well, going to be buried on there? <laughs> I'm sorry. You going to you going to be buried on that land? Uh, my daughter, my daughter wants me to. Uh huh. Oh. Yeah, my my daughter likes that cemetery. She likes her great grand. It's her great great grandparents and great 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 grandparents. Yeah. And she's very impressed with that. Um, I, I I I don't you know I. I don't. I don't know the the final answer to that, and yeah. nobody knows the final right, answer to that eventually. Course. But yeah. I I own property there. I own property in that township, and I am I am eligible to to be buried in that cemetery. Well, what a legacy! Yeah. What um yeah. what a great thing you've done. Are your kids thrilled? Do they do they love it? Uh, they do, uh-huh. and and we gave them the choice. We we took them there before we started this and said. Uh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna spend some of your inheritance <laughs> to fix this up. You right. want us to do that? Uh-huh. And they both said yes. That's cool. That's that's, that's yeah. an incredible legacy. And yeah. I'm so Dan, I'm so glad that you took the time to share this with our listeners. It's something incredible that you and Aunt Martha have done, and we really appreciate you doing and that. It's such a great Thanksgiving oh. story. Yes. You know, okay. it's it's really lovely. Thank and, you. And 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 say hi to Aunt Martha. <laughs> Thank you. <I> <laughs> Thank you for it. I've enjoyed it. Okay. So, Alice and I have posted photos uh-huh. of uh, the land. The farm is great. You've got to take a look at the photos. Yeah, it's very, very cool. Um, and I didn't realize how far north it was. Like, it's really close to Nebraska. So, I hope that everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving. 
Enjoy your family. Enjoy your family. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the bounty uh-huh. of this nation. Um, and thanks for listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Remember to join our Facebook fan page, Groundworks Inc. We Dig Plants, or on Twitter, We Dig Plants. Um, stay current on our projects and upcoming shows, and follow us on Instagram at Groundworks Gardens NYC. Thanks for listening. See you in the garden. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.